Well, good morning, everyone. Well, what an absolutely crazy morning it's been. Firstly, we are recording rather than live streaming. Tyler's got a wedding to do in New Mexico, and uh, we decided to just kind of record it rather than deal with complexities over the weekend. And then voila, it's my birthday. I know, thank you, happy birthday. Thanks for all the love and the wishes and the texts and the WhatsApp and uh, all that goes with that. Um, Funny story, Um, I went to bed last night, obviously, and, and woke up to go to the restroom at about one something, and it dawned on me that I'm recording today, because obviously normally I would have time till Sunday, and uh, so at 1.15 this morning, I was sitting preparing this message. So if by some chance it comes out as reasonable and clear and communicative, then God is full of grace and kindness. If it comes out super badly, blame me. Welcome everyone. Great to see you as much as we can virtually. We are in Mark, Mark's Gospel, a beautiful 16th chapter account of the Jesus story and done in a very unique way in comparison to the other three Jesus stories. Thank you for sitting in your home with family, with friends, alone. You may be listening to it Sunday morning or Sunday night or sometime during the week, but we so appreciate you dialing in to remain part of this Genesis story. As I sit with pastors and speak with pastors around the world, there is just this incredible uncertainty of how are my people doing? Uh, are, are they walking with Jesus? Are they alive? Are they passionate? Are they zealous? Are they, are they keen? Um, are they falling off the wagon? Are they stumbling, stuttering? And I so appreciate you dialing into us today and walking through this adventure together. As hard as what it is, and it is difficult, It is so helpful that we wrestle with our faith in difficult times. It does give us some muscle power. It does build some muscle memory. And as much as we don't want this, we want a fair weather Christianity, don't we? We want things that are easier and uh, enjoyable and laughable and fun and colorful. Yeah, sometimes life just isn't that way. And we have to find our faith in the gutsy spaces, the courageous spaces. So, Mark chapter 8, splashing into chapter 9. I'll pick up in verse 34. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If, that's such a big word, if, if any would come after me, if any would come after me, he must deny himself. She must deny herself. Take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some of you are standing here, will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. Oh my word, what an incredible passage of Scripture. And what a privilege it is to teach it on my birthday. So I'm going to take a little bit of license with you if you don't mind. Let me tell you a story first. Over the last five days or so, the name Amy Carmichael came to mind. Why? I'm not particularly sure. But I started researching her. 
I love the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit's promptings. And I've learned over the years when the Holy Spirit nudges, go for it. So I went to read up about this incredible Irish woman who at the turn of the last century, 1900, 1901, grew up in an Irish home of moderate means. Uh, Under financial pressure, her dad moved the family to Dublin. He died two years later and they had to move to Manchester where they did menial tasks. She was the oldest daughter, as I remember, and kind of had to carry some of the fiscal weight and responsibility for the family. Her heart was stirred by the billions of people around the world who had never heard, felt, touched, or experienced the precious name of Jesus. So fast forward, the time came where she felt the generic call of God to the nations, quite uncertain as to which nations she would go to, as to what her role would be there. But off she said, she spent some time in Japan, she spent some time in Ceylon, what is now Sri Lanka, um, and landed in India. And even then it wasn't quite clear what she would do there. She found herself down in the south, where Tamil is the the, the language, um, and um, did a number of things, whatever her hand found to do, and then Priva came into her life, Prina. Prina was a little girl who had been sold by her parents uh, to the temple, where they would be, quote-unquote, married to the gods, where they would be schooled and groomed to be temple prostitutes at the will and wishes of the temple priests, And this little girl, and often they were really young, 11, 12 years old, um, they were, uh, she she ran away, Prina did, and found herself at Amy's house asking to be saved from this torturous life of prostitution. Amy spent 55 years without furlough, caring for those who were sold off by family, mostly for economic reasons, were taught that it was the privilege of becoming married to the gods and used for temple prostitution. And one after the other, these predominantly little girls found their way to her and she poured herself into them, saving thousands of them from a life of destruction and pain and trauma. In fact, Two years before she died, she had an accident that put her in a bedridden state. And it was in that state that she wrote, again, if my memory serves me right, either 26 or 36 books. And she asked that when she died, only one word would be written on her gravestone, which is still standing in South India. And it's Amma, which is the Tamil word for mother. Sidebar, that's what my grandkids call Meryl. Now, you may ask, well, what what does that have to do with this story? I don't know. I'm compelled by people who stumble and stutter their way into a life of divine obedience. It may not need to be as dramatic as this one. This one is super dramatic, obviously. It may not be as dramatic or as radical or as extreme as this. But they stumble into a life of obedience, feel the nudgings, pushings and proddings of God, not always clear what it needs to look like. She moved from a number of different countries trying to find her space, her place, her calling. And then she found it through a little girl called Prina. This is an exquisite passage of Scripture. As a father, there kind of isn't one that I would love to teach more on my birthday, quite honestly, than this one. 
because I think the front end, back end helps us understand why Jesus is talking about the things that he is. The front end is about discipleship. If any of you want to be my disciple, the back end is the kingdom of God comes with power. And I think when we bookend these difficult verses with an understanding of discipleship and the kingdom of God coming with power, it now makes sense. Sometimes we think God is this kind of cosmic distributor of pain. It's almost like he just wants us to go through hard times as if they have no meaning or significance. And I think this passage empowers us to understand these verses by knowing that to be a disciple means something. John Mark has obviously popularized Dallas Willard's teachings about being an apprentice of Jesus. And he says, in antiquity, having a rabbi meant something. It meant three things, that I went to be with, that I become like, and then I do what they did. So the rabbi would kind of hand on the baton to these apprentices of his, and they would continue the work he started. So instantly I know this has a high mission conversation. Let me put it in my language. What I hear Jesus is saying is if you want to continue the work I'm doing, if you are wanting to become a man or a woman who lives a life in global gospel adventure, if you want to live a life that has a meaning, a transcendent meaning beyond just living an ordinary life, it looks like something. And then the back end, if you want to be a person who sees the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus come, with power, signs, wonders, miracles, testimonies of the supernatural, then there's a way you are called to live. If not, if not, that is not the life that you will live. You know, when we planted Genesis, I was thinking about it this morning, and I feel so incredibly privileged to be leading this community at this time. I said, Lord, I would love to see a whole crew of men and women, boys and girls, who are lovers of these things. One, lovers of Jesus. Of course, the Trinity. But just wildly in love with Jesus, who came and lived amongst us and died for us. And, and uh, we, 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 we so, we're so impacted by this life of liberty and freedom and redemption that he offers, that we are lovers of his word, the sacred text. We devour it as if it is the very sustenance of life itself. What about having a community that's lovers of Jesus, lovers of the word, lovers of spiritual transformation? God, will you make me like you? I had the privilege of having lunch yesterday with Dr. Bill Gaultier. He's been in Orange County for years. Uh, he and his wife, who's also a doctor in psychology, as is he, uh, spend their life really ministering to ministers. Their, their passion is to care for, to be soul shepherds for those who give themselves away. And I just sat with him, and you know, Jesus just oozed out of him. And he's a little bit younger than I am, but it was so compelling. I said to Meryl afterwards, man, I'd love to have more contact with someone like that. And that's what happens when Jesus oozes out of us. People do want to be with us, as they did with him. But it costs something. To get there. Lovers of Jesus, lovers of his word, lovers of spiritual transformation, lovers of his bride. Oh my gosh. I said something silly to my sons-in-law. Both of them are six foot four. And effectively at some stage said to them, 
partly in humor, partly not, and I'm embarrassed by it, but the heart of it was, if you ever touch my daughter, I will come after you. Now, that's a silly speak for a silly dad, but the heart of it is, this is my precious daughter. Don't you ever lift your hand to her. And I feel like the invitation God gives us is to love his bride with abandonment and with celebration, to love the people of this world. Can I be honest? I'm so confused by a nation that has supposedly been founded on a Christian worldview and that is just tumbling in a world of relational implosion. The right and the left hating each other. Black and white in revolt against each other. The young and the old in cultural conflict with each other. Oh, God's love for people should just seed our hearts perpetually with mercy and kindness and goodness and grace. And then lovers of his adventure. Every day, every day I marvel at the life I live. I shouldn't. I shouldn't. Where I come from in South Africa, economically, socially, spiritually, where I come from, there's no way I should be living the life that I live. You know, T has been watching the Michael Jordan series on Netflix, and Meryl and I are going to watch it too. But um, two, two incidents that came to mind which frames this. The first was when Michael Jordan, arguably the best basketball player of all time, was dropped at high school. He wasn't good enough. He came home devastated, his mother said. But what he did, it was the end of the year, it was the summer. Every single day, he trained for hours at a time. At that stage, it was just to get back onto the team. Little did his mum know, maybe he suspected that he would become this extraordinary basketball player. Unmatched, arguably. And he mentioned another moment when uh, he had some time out of basketball and went to play baseball. wasn't very successful at it. And he came back just in time for the Bulls' run in the playoffs. And they didn't do well. They got beaten quite quickly. And when they were clearing out the rock locker room, the trainer came to him and said, Cheers, Michael. Thank you. We'll see you when? And Michael said, Tomorrow morning. So I said, What do you mean? It's, it's like the break now. But tomorrow morning, I'll start training again. You see, when we take this text and we translate it into the understandable, we realize that there is something that when I am a Jesus follower and I live this high-end life of adventure and, and gospel curiosity and the supernatural, it does require me to step into another world. Firstly, the text speaks about take up your cross and deny yourself. Now, obviously we know we have no clue about what the cross means, really. I mean, to that world, I, I was reading this, I, I'm studying the first century and Roman rule, reading as much as I can. Spartacus was a gladiator who escaped and led thousands to rebel against the Roman power. He was supposedly killed in the final battle. But what Caesar did is he had 6,000 rebels, gladiator slaves, crucified between Rome and Capua on the Apian Way. 6,000. Can you imagine wherever you live, just one person being crucified? Could you imagine 6,000 every mile apart? 
the sheer pain, trauma. I mean, we're talking post-traumatic stress. When every mile you walk, there is another person screaming, crying out in pain, in trauma. It meant something in those days. In a way, we just really don't understand it. What is the cross to us? Now, of course, many theologians use different metaphors to help understand it. I think it's that one thing that stands between me, you, and us achieving the will of God for our lives. What's that obstacle? What is that thing that we have to lay down? Uh, My folks just called to wish me for my birthday. And I was thinking about 1990 in Hong Kong when God spoke to us and said, you'll spend the rest of your lives abroad. Meryl and I come from two very close families, did Christmases together, Easter's together. We're still together. I mean, all of the rest of the family are kind of within a blanket throw of each other. We are here. So you would say, Chris, well, it was easy for you. You left South Africa and moved to America. When God asked us to leave our family and our country of birth, It was a cross because we thought we were going to Asia. Billions of people, foreign languages, sights, sounds and smells. And we said yes, because our cross to bear was leaving our family behind. It's that thing that Jesus knows will be the obstacle to us walking a life of divine obedience. And it's not because he's angry or malicious or grumpy. It's because... He knows it's the thing we have to conquer. Remember the garden? Oh, I'd love to have been there when I watched Jesus say, Oh, Father, if it's at all possible, would you take this cup from me? And every cross we've had to bear has had that moment. Is it possible? Is it possible for me to lay down that cross, to to, to not go there? But not my will but yours be done. Remember a few weeks ago I spoke about Sam Albury, the British guy who works for Ravi Zacharias' ministry, who realized when he was 17 that he had same-sex attraction. And uh, for him, the time that he came to that realization is also the time where he came to faith. And uh, he's now much older. He's accepted a life of celibacy. And when he tells his story, people invariably come to him and say, wow, That is such a heavy cross to bear that um, his commitment or desire, same-sex attraction, is something he has to lay down daily. And and he says, I I look at people kind of quizzically as if to say, but it's no more difficult than your cross. And it's true. I remember the early days here just desperately wanting, my brother called me this morning, we had a long chat, but I desperately wanted a knock on the door of, Brother said, come on, Chris, let's go and play golf. See, every day I felt and Meryl felt the weight of our cross. And it's no more difficult than the next person's cross. But it is that obstacle that will prevent me. My flesh, what John Mark calls that kind of primal sense of humanness, wants certain things. And oftentimes they're against the very notion of a life of divine obedience. My friend Rob Hutton. Rob uh, was with Deloitte's auditor, was a CPA in South Africa, and the Spirit of God called him. He and I were talking the other day, and he just said tenderly, not negatively or, or, or by way of regret, he said, you know, Chris, I'd be a very rich man today. 
I'll be a partner in Deloitte, one of the global auditing firms in the world. He said, I'd be a very rich man. I'd have a house, had several houses, have a fancy car, take much vacation. And here he is in a rented house in Dubai, preaching the gospel, Sri Lanka, India, Zimbabwe, amongst other places. And I'm sure there are times where he must wonder, well, gee, if only I'd stayed in Deloitte, imagine where we'd be now. Mother Teresa, her, her call to those young women, 1954, I think it was, that defining train trip that set the stage for the rest of her life. You see, folks, so we can go on and so we go on. Our prevailing culture is to follow your heart. But the kingdom adventure is to follow his. Why? Because what he has for us, the kingdom of God with power, is far greater than follow your heart. The second thing about this passage is the idea of gain the whole world but lose your soul. There's a strong economic component to this, isn't there? We know that uh, there's a, a drive towards materialism, certainly in the West, and the world that imitates the West. And um, the, the, the language I think that Jesus is speaking about here is nudging after that sense of the accrual of possessions and the expenditure of our financial priorities. As a father, biologically and spiritually, I watch each of you as closely as I can. And I remember in the earliest days as a 24, 25-year-old church planter, my then spiritual mentor, Dudley Daniels, said, there are three things that generally capture the man or woman of God. And he alliterated with finances, females, if you're a male, and fame. And he said, you must avoid fame like the plague. Now, if you're in your mid-twenties and you want to be famous, I did. That was super hard. But he added in there the issue of finances and females. The driving financial culture is one of control. We're seeing that, and we're seeing that in the world of philanthropy. People want to control where they give their money, how they give their money. Now, you know, part of this life is a life of obedience, and it's a life of faith. And uh, the joy of it is to see and to grow in the realization that you can never outgive God. If that's one, there are about five phrases I will use over and over and over again, and this is one of them. Because I want to, you to see, as much as I wanted my own kids to see, the joy of generosity, the joy of not being held captive or even driven by the need to possess, to gain the whole world, but en route the soul goes. I was watching with great tenderness Kanye and Kim uh, unfolding story right now. I don't know them. I don't judge them because I don't know them. But I'm deeply saddened by it. One of the photographers grabbed a picture of them sitting in a car after his recent outburst. And she's in tears and I thought this poor couple can't even have a marital disagreement in private without cameras shooting away. What do they have? They have everything. A ranch in Montana, beautiful properties in Calabasas, their fame, their finances, everything that many a young P 
pretending uh, Instagram influencer would hunker after or young musician would be. And I just sat there looking at the pain on their faces. Now, again, no judgment whatsoever. Sufficient to, to, to point to the fact that Jesus knows something. When our quest is for the accrual of property, of things, and that idolatry grabs my heart, the gospel can come in and restore my soul. But if not, my soul becomes captive to the, the accrual of stuff. And I just think, uh, you know, each one of us, I wrote in my notes here, the mafia question, find out what his price is. The notion is that every one of us has a price. Find out what that is. And I guess it's probably quite an interesting question to ask ourselves. What's my price? Is my price a discovery, which I particularly would love to get right now? Land Rover. Is my price profile, recognition? What will I do to get that? Remember, this conversation is between, on the front end, a disciple of Jesus, a life of mission, and on the back end, the kingdom of God with power. Thirdly, this adulterous and sinful generation. So thanks to T, he helped me with some of this as I was typing away this morning. You know, it's an interesting phrase, not dissimilar to the one that Peter uses in Acts chapter 2. That those ideas, dear friends, that drive each generation are crafted and created as obstacles to a life of obedience. I, I just listed some of them. I said, T, help me. Um, in our younger selves, what would the groups be? And obviously, he's younger and more in line with all of you than I am. But I said, what would some of the groups be that you would have wanted acceptance in, whether it's at high school or college? And we kind of landed on a few, the surfing crew, the fashionistas, the Instagram influencers, the popular crew, crew, crew the, the, the nerds, geeks, the video gamers, the creative edgy group, and so on. And when we subconsciously decide which is the group we want acceptance in, we begin subconsciously to play by their rules isn't it? We begin to dress like them. We all want to dress differently the same. Or the major culture conversations that are shaping our world right now woke with all of its cultural demands. BLM and racism, white privilege, the purity culture that's aggressively and intentionally undermining the sense of biblical value measuredly. Those who want to cancel culture, remove history. As a history lover, that's very, very difficult to process. The LBGDQ community and its politics. I was watching some uh, Douglas Murray interviews and his conversations as a gay man in those spaces. The hookup culture, the progressive theology. Okay, what am I saying? All of these dear friends are conversations for which and with which we can attach danger, danger, danger. Now, most of you are too young to remember Steve Irwin. He was probably the first guy on television that popularized working with dangerous animals. He was an Australian, crazy funny, full of energy and enthusiasm. And whenever he dealt with or handled a super deadly snake or reptile or whatever, he would say, danger, danger, danger. 
he died swimming with a, uh, what was it? A stingray that shot him in his sternum. Danger, danger, danger. All of these, dear friends, if we are not soaked in the text, they will appeal to something inside of us that just may not be the path that God has us on. Where do we place our emphasis? It's not to boring, bland lives, trying our desperately best to live a life of biblical morality, white knuckle holding on for, our, for whatever is possible. The big conversation is Father God sitting us down as I'm doing with you right now and simply saying, my son, my daughter, I love you so much. Do you understand, Father God might say, the life that I have laid out for you? And every now and again, a prophetic word or a dream or a vision or a verse of scripture leaps out. We say, oh God, that sounds amazing. For me, it was the 18-year-old who read from Jeremiah 1, you will be a prophet to the nations. I had no idea what that meant. I'm not even sure I do now. But I knew God had seeded me with the nations. And it was the bigness of that dream that enabled me to say yes to some things and no to some things. And then he back ends it by saying, this life will be full of power. You will have story after story of the miraculous. And I can only imagine sitting like I did on my grandpa's bed many years ago, just listening to his story, being, being captivated by farms in Africa before it was all kind of tamed. Sitting there, hanging on to his every word, saying, oh, that's amazing to have a lion come onto the farm, or gorillas, or um, not gorillas, baboons. Captivated. And I feel like this passage, Jesus is captivating us by saying, you want to be my disciple? You want to live a life on radical adventure for me? You want to live a life of kingdom power? Oh, yes, please. What, what must I do? He says, well, simply, you've got to take up your cross, my son my daughter. You've got a Michael Jordan this moment. You've got to say, I'm not going to party this summer. I'm not, not because of some cosmic kind of high value that's impossible to achieve. But for me to live this life, it's going to cost me. And that price is worth paying. It's going to cost me because I'm going to live a life of generosity. I'm going to live a life of kindness. I'm not going to live a life where I control my finances, become stingy and mingy. I'm going to tithe. Not because it's an antiquated old idea of 10%, but oh, that's the minimum. Me living with a heart of gratitude. And then on top of that, live a life of generosity. And then lastly, for my eyes to be opened and to say, oh, I don't want to be ensnared by what John Mark calls the culture of hedonism, digital instant gratification, and postmodern propaganda. Of course he said that. I would never think of saying that. A culture of hedonism, pleasure-seeking, digital instant gratification, and postmodern propaganda. I don't want to be sucked into that. I want to be sucked into a world of beauty, wonder, purity, and wholeness that comes with the life in 
Jesus. Thank you so much. While we land with Tyler taking us through a song, would you just pause for a moment and let this precious God put a picture in your imagination of him speaking to you. I've got such vivid pictures of me sitting with each one of my kids in a different space, a different place, a different time, and just sitting with them, cupping their little faces in my hand and appealing, not because we are Christians and it's black and white and right and wrong, but because there's a higher way. There's a more beautiful path in my spiritual growth and development in following this Jesus. What is your cross? Can you put it down today? And you say, God, I died today. Oh, it's going to hurt. Just like Sam lives a life, Albury lives a life of celibacy. This is going to hurt. This is going to cost me. Just as Chris and Meryl dearly want to see their family today, what a joy it would be to go and have a beer with my brother. No, it's not going to happen. Okay. Disciple of Jesus, the kingdom of God with power. I'm going to lay my cross down. I'm going to deny myself, gain the whole world but lose my soul. Oh no, oh no. And then live in a generation not held captive to these things, but a Jesus generation. Enjoy the worship.